This is the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast with Jay Gordon Duncan. Hello, friends, and welcome to a Wednesday Wisdom episode of the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast with Jay Gordon Duncan. And if you're wondering why the J, the answer is I am not a bagpipe player. And if that joke doesn't make any sense, I encourage you to check out episode zero where I explain that joke as well as the purpose of the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast. But as to today's episode, our Wednesday Wisdom episodes are this. I am sharing the audio of my sermons from the church I pastor, Evident Grace Fellowship in Fredericksburg, Virginia, as well as sermons from churches I have pastored prior, as well as sermons that I've preached at other places. And I'm sharing them with you for this reason. My sermons are usually not too long. They're between 30 and 40 minutes long. And by sharing them with you, it gives you a chance for some spiritual encouragement midweek. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope it's challenging and encouraging, like I said. And if it is, would you please send me a note at uh, gordon at jgordonnuckin.com or maybe even share this sermon online, Facebook, or on your Instagram story. I hope you enjoy it. So let's get to the sermon. Yesterday, uh, it seems like I did what my family's done on and off for the better part of three years. Uh, my friend Matt Calhoun and I went down to North Carolina. Amy's mother has sold the home that Amy grew up in, and after her father passed six months uh, ago, this is a real blessing that she can uh, sell this house and move on. And Amy was offered the gift of her father's desk. This is the desk that he wrote every sermon of his life on. It's a sweet moment for Amy to just sit there and be quiet. Now, that's the joyful part. The uh, lack of joy was how big this desk is and how heavy it was. And uh, so Matt and I had to take the top of the desk completely off, and then we had to take the door off the frame, and then we had to move it down the, sta- uh, down the hallway, down the stairs, into the van, and then when we got into my house, uh, Matt described me as, well, I won't just say how he described me, but it was great joy that it fit in the uh, room that we hoped for it to go in. Incredibly heavy desk. Um, and it was a transformer to get out the door and into the other. Now, rumor has it, that Amy's father, Jack, one time moved this desk from his office above the garage, down some narrow steps, through the kitchen, up the steps, and into that room all by himself. And uh, I used to not believe these rumors of Jack. They were like, babe, the blue ox, or the thin man, or whatever it is. They were just rumors. But I pretty much believe it now. After a day of soreness, I thought, somehow, Jack had the ability to do that. And so I consider Jack, uh, I have the desk of equal weight of my mentor, Terry Trailer. I would have loved my dad's desk, but you just don't need that many, nor would you guys keep helping me move them. And so we have these desks that have uh, uh, remembrance and tradition and... Uh, and some manner of inspiration in our homes. And so I think about the men who sat there and faithfully prayed and wrote sermons and moved them by themselves, and I just think perhaps the men of that generation were just made of different metal than many of us. And uh, I just think they were. Um, And uh, there's something for uh, men for us to consider that. In my old age of 45, I can say that generation ahead of me had something we didn't. And while I am able to lift up medicine balls and flip big giant farm tractors and and tires, I I do not have the ability to move that desk down and up all by myself. And somehow Jack did. Um, Maybe it was stubbornness. But I think the stubbornness that I want from Jack and from men older than myself and ladies, I want this thing for you as well, is that when they're... Their hearts were troubled when they were stressed, when they were overwhelmed. Uh, the men that I highly respect had a pattern and a discipline that they continually returned to. 
And, and while we have wonderful gifts uh, like exercise and laughter and fun, and I'm thankful for those and I want you to pursue them, the tradition and the discipline that these men had when they were overwhelmed and stressed is they would go into the rooms with said desk and they would close them and for hours they would sit there with their open Bible and they would read it and they would pray. And they would stay there not looking for a magical answer or a magical eight ball, uh, but just said in their hearts and minds, the rest that I'm seeking is going to find, I'm going to find it in the presence of my Savior, Jesus Christ. And though I may not find the answer to the problem I have, and I may not know the very next thing to do, what I'm called to do is to sit at this desk and to pray and read my Bible uh, for hours on end so that I am better prepared to go do that which I am called to. And just, uh, I was convicted of that even in the moving of a desk and what it meant. And my daughter said, is that what you do at your desk, Daddy? And I could say, sometimes. I could say, sometimes. This week, Jesus, after spending three years with his disciples, he's going to tell them, he's only got 11 now, Judas has left him, and he's going to say, guys, I'm going to leave you. And I think the other time Jesus has said that, they have been in denial. But this is the time. He's like, I'm going to leave you. And while those men that I look up to enjoyed the presence of Jesus, those 11 were looking at Jesus, and Jesus says, I'm going to leave you. And the rest that they found in any manner of comfort for their, comfort for their soul had a real crisis point. Because you're going to be gone, Jesus. What do we do? And Jesus' answer to them was, let your heart not be troubled. And so if Jesus could say to those men who had a very real crisis at hand, Jesus leaving them, if he could say to them, let your heart not be troubled, we, with whatever we are struggling with, whether it be work, or whether it be health, or whether it be a relationship, or whatever your present uh, cause of stress and discomfort may be, we need to hear Jesus' answer to that. How could he say to them, when he was physically leaving them, let your hearts be calm? That is my desire for us. It's my desire for my heart that has not been very calm this week and for yours. We're going to try to answer this big picture question. How does Jesus calm the troubled heart? It's going to be very simple. If we can get to the end of the sermon, we can say, I found out how Jesus calmed the troubled heart. Uh, we will be those most blessed. Uh, I'm going to read to us John 36 through 14.7. Often I ask us to stand, but this is a slightly lengthy passage. I'm going to read it to you. You are more than welcome to follow along in your Bible. I read from the ESV. It's in your bulletin. It's on the screen. Or you can just close your eyes, uh, however it may be. But let me read to you the passage of Scripture that I hope that we can find the answer. How does Jesus calm the troubled heart? I'm going to begin reading to you at verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I not follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let your, not your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. Excuse me, believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. 
Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let me tell you where we are, whether you need reminding or whether this is your first time with us. We are sitting on the night before Jesus' arrest and crucifixion. It is the Thursday before Good Friday, if you will. And we have seen Jesus enjoy a Passover meal with his disciples. He gave them the Lord's Supper. In humility, he washed their feet. Then he reminded them, yes, I am your servant, but I'm also your teacher. I'm your Lord. You need to follow me in such manners of service to one another. He has spoken about the betrayal that he's going to experience by Judas. He has sent Judas Judas out. Go do what you need to do. He has reminded the disciples, uh, do not worry, though I've uh, sent Judas out. I have those that the Father has given to me. I've not lost a single one, and I'm not going to. And then he told them, that I'm going to leave you. That brings us to where we are. If we're going to answer the big picture question, how does Jesus calm the troubled heart? We're going to answer it in three ways in this passage. Jesus knows our heart. Jesus provides a place of rest, and Jesus rescues us. How does Jesus calm the troubled heart? Well, he knows your heart. He gives you a place to rest, and he's going to rescue you. Let's look at that first point. How does Jesus calm your heart? He does it by knowing your heart. Let me reread that section that speaks to that. Verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down your life, my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. This passage is going to show us how Jesus knows our heart. Jesus is with the 11. He says, guys, I've got to go. I've got to go. I've got things to do. I'm going to leave you. And Peter, my favorite disciple, the arrogant, the one who speaks before thinking, the overconfident, the one who speaks in hyperbole. I like this guy a lot. He says, where are you going? Wherever you're going to go, I'm going to go with you. I mean, I would, I, would, I would die for you, Jesus. Just tell me. I mean, first of all, why can't I go? Haven't I not earned it? I'll die for you, Jesus. And we have the fortunate knowledge on this side. If you don't, uh, let me tell you, where Jesus is going to go is he's going to go to heaven to make a place for us. And he says, you're going to go with me. Now's not the time. Now's not the time. Peter, I want to go with you. I want to go. He's having a good old fit that a child has. I want to go. Parents go out on their date for the first time in nine months. I understand why I can't go. Because I'm tired of you. It's not what Jesus says to them, which is what I would like to say, which I have said. It's like, I'll lay down my life for you, Jesus. Now, I don't mean to speak in cliches, and as soon as you say that, that means you're about to speak in cliches. And the problem is not Peter's willingness to die for Jesus, is it? It's Peter's willingness to live rightfully for Jesus. If you don't know, uh, church historians and even historians of the day told us Peter is very willing to die for Jesus. He did die for Jesus. In fact, Peter, in his uh, godliness, when he was to be martyred for Jesus, said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Savior, and he was crucified upside down. 
I'll die for Jesus, yes. Uh, but that's too honoring for me to be like Jesus. Hang me upside down. I can't be, I can't be killed like my Savior was. So the problem with Peter is not his willingness to die. The problem with Peter is he doesn't understand what living as a person who has faith in Jesus looks like. And Jesus knows his heart. Now, Jesus knew the heart of Judas the betrayer as well, right? Uh, last week we looked at it and he said, Judas, go do what you need to do. Go do it quickly. Now, why was Judas the betrayer not in the realm of forgiveness, but Peter the denier was. What's the difference between those two? And the only difference between the two is Jesus knew the heart of both men. And the heart of Judas had no faith in Jesus whatsoever. The heart of Judas was selfish. It was hardened. It was greedy. It was evil. And Peter, with all his faults, with his arrogance and his ignorance, Jesus knew his heart as well. And so Peter would deny him three times. But Peter had faith in Jesus Christ. And only Jesus would know that. And the comfort that offers our heart in that, which may be a comfort and a scare for you at the same time, is Jesus knows your heart. And so while you're experiencing... Maybe not this week, God bless. But when you're experiencing stress, or when you're experiencing uh, the great temptation to just give it up, we don't use the language of calm your heart. What's the language of the day? Uh, I'm just done. I'm tired of adulting. We make up new words for it. Um, I mean, we just make up silly words. And what it means is our hearts are, are troubled. What we feel is just absolutely alone. And what you need to know is you're not. Jesus knows your heart. In a couple of weeks, Jeremy and I are going to head off to our denomination's General Assembly. And this is when the churches uh, that we're affiliated with gather and the pastors and elders uh, come together and do very real business for the church. And in the, fi- in the coming weeks, we're going to tell you a little bit more about what's going to happen there. We're going to ask for your prayers. But here's one of the things that I love in those gatherings. When I get there, there are people who know exactly what I'm going through as a pastor. And there's typically two different types of pastors. There's one that goes to General Assembly that says, I'm going to do this for about an inch longer and then I'm about to quit. Or if I had an avenue to quit, I would. And I've been to General Assembly like that. That's not generally what you tell your church from up front. I'm tired of all of you. I'm ready to quit. It's generally not how the sermon goes. And then the other pastors are like, I'm, oh, geez, I'm just, they're ready to go for 80 more years, about six months after their ordination. Either way, we gather at those moments and someone can articulate what we're going through. It's not always the case, though. You may be in a circumstance where you can say, I don't know a single person who articulates what I'm going through, despite being loved despite having friends or family, no one understands the stress. And I can look at this passage to you and say, Jesus knows your heart. He knew Judas's heart, he knew Peter's heart, and he knows your heart. 
And so if we're going to begin to get an inkling of how is Jesus going to calm my heart, it's going to happen because Jesus knows it. A couple of weeks ago, we heard these scriptures. Matthew 12, Jesus knowing their hearts said to them. Matthew 22, Jesus perceiving their thoughts said to them. Luke 6, but he knew what they were thinking and said to them. Luke 11, but he knew their hearts and said to him. Jesus knows every person's heart. And so as you begin to take a step towards hope that your heart will be calm and lose its trouble, well, the first is, is that he knows it. He knows it intimately, and he actually knows your heart better than you know it yourself. But we need more than that. It's not going to get it done. I wish it were. Moms need moms to relate to. Pastors need pastors to relate to. Pastors' wives need pastors' wives to relate to. Fathers, men, you need people who are walking right beside you. Whatever strata of life you're in. Kids, you get together and like my parents just wearing me out. Whatever the case may be. You need people who can relate to, but you need more than that. You need someone who knows you intimately. So the first hope we have for our hearts to be calmed is that you're not fooling anyone. Jesus knows you. Second, Jesus is going to provide you a place of rest. That sounds beautiful. A place of rest. Verse 14, 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, what have I told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I'll take you to myself that where I am you may be also. And you know the way of where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? It, I love it. You just, just got to chill out. You just got to calm down. Don't worry. I'm not abandoning you. I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare this wonderful place for you. And you're going to be in that place. And it's going to be a place of rest. Now, work with me here. Imagine in your mind what the most restful place could be right now. If you were going to rest, what would that place be? Is it comfy pillows? I mean, is it, is it completely away from children or work? Man, is this your man cave? Is that your, your id telling you you've got to create this place that no one is allowed to be in? Is that what it is? Is it, is it the world you escape into on a video game? Um, is it getting together with girlfriends and laughing? Uh, or is it just disappearing and no one, knowing where you, no one knowing where you are for a period of time. What would it be? What is your place of rest? Now, I don't have a ticket, and if this was Oprah, and today, I, you know, I mean, that's not going to happen, and I wish I had it for you. But Jesus is telling them, guys, you know I speak funny, so let me explain to you. When I say I'm leaving to you, I'm actually preparing a place for you. And you're going to go and be there. And you remember Peter. Peter's like, ooh, ooh, I want to go with you. He's like, you can't go with me. You're still going to deny me in just a few moments. You can't go. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I love Thomas. Thomas gets it done. He's the logical one. I don't relate to Thomas in any way. Even though he's a doubter, he's all you administrators out there. It's like, well, I don't know it. If you, I don't know where you're going. Can you articulate for me where you say you were going? Can you spell it out for me? Thomas, so how can we know the way? Now, we're going to get, not get to that answer yet. Thomas is just that 
that one that needs to know the clear path. He doesn't get on the road trip without having everything planned. He's the, the mom who has the Ziploc bags that has the food that they didn't know you needed. Uh, he's the dad who, you know, has the socket 14, 7, 8 that you didn't think you He's got it. He's got his tools on the wall. Um, I have no idea what it means that Jesus is preparing a room for you. None. No one has any idea to tell you what it looks like that Jesus has prepared a place for you. All I can tell you is that if you trust Jesus, and if you understand the character of Jesus, all you can say to yourself is, I can't wait to see what that place is. I can't wait to enjoy that place. When you're traveling and you want, I, I was driving the U-Haul home yesterday. I'm sorry about all the truck, truck analogies. It's just what's in my brain. I'm driving the U-Haul and I'm carrying some very fragile furniture uh, for my wife. And because of its size, I have, uh, Matt and I had to put it in the U-Haul in ways that she would never have approved of. You understand what I'm saying? Like, and so I didn't explain at all how we had it in there. There's this beautiful secretary that we now have in our house, and it's so tall it doesn't fit in the U-Haul, which means we had to lay it down flat and then secure it and then try to block everything away. And so as you come into Virginia, I mean, the, all the roads are like that, and I just kept waiting for shattered glass. And I've got the headphones on. I've got the podcast as loud as it can go. I, like, I don't even want to hear it. But I'm sure if you were taking my blood pressure or following my heartbeat for those two hours in Virginia, I'm sure it was just jacked up. All I wanted to do was get to the house, back that U-Haul up, and open it, and then just go, ta-da, we got it here safely, to my wife. And then I wanted to go to bed. And then I just wanted to crawl in bed, but that didn't happen for like another two or three hours later because then we had to unload it. All I wanted was that idea of rest for me and the anxiety of the trip was what I was living in. Yours is different. If you're a dad or uh, all right, men, let me just speak, men, you're working. I hope you're working. You're called to work, so work. And so you're working. If you're not, only have a job, you're working to find a job. That's a job. And so you, you want to get home I imagine at the end of the day. And perhaps you've got someone to care for, dog, cat, child, wife. And then you want that moment where all your responsibilities are relinquished. So there's your moment without any responsibility. Ladies, if you're taking care of a man, (laughs) you want some moment where you are free of your responsibilities. My kids want their SOLs done, and they want to be done with school. We all have in some mind the end of something that's going to give us rest. But here, it seems like intangible. Because vacation is not life. Life is life, and the rest you get at the end of the day gets 
crushed by the alarm clock in the morning. But Jesus is telling them, he's telling you, i got to go because I'm going to prepare this sumptuous, luxurious, restful place so that the first time in your life there's not a to-do except enjoy the presence of your Heavenly Father and the fellow believers who call Jesus Lord. And your heart is calmed primarily by faith that is to come. And that's so hard for you. It's so hard for you. It's so hard for me to not be gratified now. Because typically if I want something, I'm going to go and get it. How many of you ever have left like 11 o'clock at night to go get something from the store? Like, I just want that ice cream now. I really want that drink like now. I mean, it's that, we just go get what we want. And if we go for a prolonged time without getting it, we are ornery. But Jesus is promising a place of rest that is intended to comfort our hearts. But John's like, Jesus, I don't know. The, Thomas, excuse me, he's like, I don't know the way. And here's the rescue that Jesus brings us. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you would know me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do not know me, you do know me, excuse me, and have seen him. Jesus provides the way of rest. I am the way. I'm the truth that's going to get you there, and I'm the life you're going to enjoy. This week, I asked some people online, uh, help me understand um, how... Uh, what's the question you have, I believe, that, about God calming your heart? What would you like to know? And I've woven a few of those answers into this uh, sermon, but one person offered uh, a question that is addressed directly here. Someone said, um, basically, how does the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, how do they each play a part in our rest? And this is exactly what Jesus just said. He said, basically this, The Heavenly Father gives you rest. Because you can be before the holy, righteous, heavenly Father without a fear. That is the truest definition of rest. The holy, righteous creator of all things, sitting before him without fear, that is the truest definition of rest. And Jesus says, I I'm going to get you there. That's what I do. Because Jesus always points you to the Father. Hey, you stressed? I want to point you to the Father who gives you rest. Have you become overwhelmed with anxiety? Yes, you have. I want to point you to the Father and you rest there. You're not going to find true and long-lasting rest here. You're going to have faith and the Holy Spirit is going to remind that of you constantly. But Jesus is the way to the Father. He's the life that you are experienced and the truth that you need to know to get to the Father. I I wish I had more time. I've got to build a conclusion here. I've got to build a conclusion here. I mean, that's one of the most true passages of all the Scripture, and I I need to stop here for the sake of time. 
if you do not know Jesus Christ here, I, I plead to you, sit with me after the service and let me walk you through this passage. You will not get to the, the you will not get to the Heavenly Father without this passage. You will not know rest in your life in any way without this passage. But Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life to the Father. For the sake of uh, our time at the YMCA where we have to leave, I need to move to a conclusion. Uh, guys, let me give you a truth to walk away here. The truth is the answer to our big picture question. How does our hearts find rest? It's this way. We can become, because Jesus knows our hearts, provides us a place of rest, and he rescues us. I'll put this out in the email that goes out. If you've got time to write it now, do it. You can become for this reason. Uh, I will not be the pastor or the preacher who promises you every false thing in this world to give you calm. I'm not going to tell you if you just believe hard enough, that thing you are desiring, that worldly sensation or that worldly possession, he's going to give it to you. That is a promise to say, uh, let the things of the world fool you. That's all that is. What you have for hope for calm is that. You can be calm because Jesus knows our hearts, provides you a place of rest and rescues you. Make it personally personal. I can be calm because Jesus knows my heart. He provides me a place of rest and he has rescued me. That's a good thing to remind yourself. As soon as you enter into the stress this week and you feel overwhelmed, men, when you were gripping that steering wheel so tight on the way home, that's what you got to tell yourself. I can be calm. Jesus knows me. He's given me a place of rest, and he's rescued me. Ladies, if you're at home and you're await uh, your husband, or if you yourself are in the car on the way home, whatever your vocation, whether it be in or outside the home, it's the same thing. I can be calm. I'm known, I have a place, and I'm rescued. Here's the application I want for you. Calming our hearts begins with reminding ourselves who we are and what we have in Jesus. This is what I'm going to talk about, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, and kids, we're going to do this like we used to do at a camp, okay? Okay? We're going to do some hand motions, okay? Serious. I'm a child of the Father, saved by Jesus, who enjoys the Holy Spirit. Okay? You got it? I don't care if the adults can do it to help the kids out, okay? This is how you remind yourself to be calm. I'm a child of the Father, saved by Jesus, who enjoys the Holy Spirit. One more time. One more time, adults. You're, you're, doing, you're doing this, and I appreciate it, and that's fine. I don't care. You can do it at home. You're a child of the Father, saved by Jesus, who enjoys the Holy Spirit. That is how we apply this calm heart. Here's the action. Action is always the hard one, right? Okay, immediately examine what we are allowing to stress us out. I'm not diminishing your circumstances. No, 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 I will never do that. I will never tell you what you're going through is no big deal. I may tell you uh, you'll get through it. I may tell you when you get older, you'll look back and say, I wish that was the only stress I had. But we have to start looking at, and I encourage you to write it on a piece of paper, what is it that's stressing me out? And don't just say, my kids or my work. What is it that is completely causing your heart to no longer be calm? And I want you to articulate it. I want you to articulate it. Write it down. And then I want you to begin thinking through this passage, thinking about the place of rest, about Jesus knowing you, and about being rescued. And if you've got to go, I'm a child of the Father, loved by Jesus, who enjoys the Holy Spirit, and then figure out how that applies to the piece of paper, do that. But we're not going to overcome the stressed out life or the pace that we have just by running through our head more down. You've got to 
Look at each one of those. You're like, Gordon, I got so much, I don't have that much time. I'm like, that's fine, just take one a day. Just take one a day. And then begin to apply these truths to it. Guys, let's end with this verse. This is a wonderful verse to wrap this up for us. So many things more to say, but 2 Corinthians 13, 4. Jesus was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. Amen. For we also are weak in Him. If you're stressed out, okay, then we're being obedient. (laughs) We also are weak in Him, but in dealing with you, we will live with Him by the power of Him. You're going to live by the power of Jesus. So examine yourself, that's our action, to see whether you are in the faith. Are you a believer in Jesus? Okay, let's go with the yeses. Okay, then test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Christ is in you unless you indeed fail to meet the test? Examine yourself. Do I have faith in Jesus? If the answer is yes, then the application of this is, I am weak, but I'm going to live by the power of Jesus. You're going to examine your heart. The test is very easy to answer. Do I have faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins? If the answer is yes, then you say, I'm weak, and Jesus was crucified in weakness, but I'm going to live by the power of Jesus. My weakness is a statement of identity for every human being that's buffeted by your identity as being a child of Jesus. Guys, there's a lot in there. I want to meet with you this week. I want to follow up with you. I want you to get together in small groups and talk about this, whatever the case may be. I'll send out the email with a summary. I'll send out the podcast. But do not let the truths of the sermon pass by. Do not let this be a week where you just continue to struggle and be discouraged and be ready to die or ready to give it all up. Don't. This passage is intended to calm your hearts. I, Jeremy, Matt, the whole church, we want to meet together and encourage each other. Don't continue on in this discouragement. Please don't. There's too much hope that we have in these passages to continue on. Child of God, love by Jesus, presence of the Holy Spirit, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for our hopes that we have through what Christ has done. Thank you for identity. Thank you for the continuing presence of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. Enable us to be those that trust daily, recognizing that we are weak and we will continue to be weak but we will be those who live by the power of Jesus. And when we see Jesus, when we see you, Heavenly Father, without fear, we will worship you as we ought to, and we'll enjoy whatever that room looks like. Enable us to celebrate that now in Jesus' name. Amen.